0: With the clock ticking on the 2020 legislative session and the coronavirus threatening to disrupt it, Kansas lawmakers are still searching for a way forward on several big issues. Abortion, Medicaid expansion, taxes, highway funding, it's a long list. But one of the moderate Republicans responsible for blocking passage of the anti-abortion constitutional amendment is hoping to break the impasse.
1: I just, out of frustration, decided, you know what? Let's put another option out there for, for folks to look at. It's time to do that.
0: We'll talk about Representative Don Heineman's efforts at compromise later in the podcast, but for now, let's just say backers of the constitutional amendment aren't embracing his proposal. Republican Senate President Susan Wagle's blockade of Medicaid expansion is angering expansion supporters, and some are resorting to more militant tactics. Capitol Police had to forcibly remove several protesters after they attempted to block the entrance to the Senate chamber. I'm Jim McLean and this is Statehouse Blend, a podcast from the Kansas News Service. With tempers flaring and concerns about the coronavirus on the rise, we have Stephen State House reporter for the Kansas News Service, on hand to help explain uh, where things stand at the Capitol these days. Welcome back, Stephen.
2: Hey, thanks. Glad to be here.
0: So you were in the middle of that demonstration by Medicaid expansion supporters, the one where protesters literally laid on the floor to prevent lawmakers from entering the Senate chamber. How tense did things get?
2: Well, it was very noisy, but ultimately police and protesters both stayed pretty calm. Police Hmm. did physically remove about two dozen protesters, but the protesters, you know, weren't resisting. Uh, Some of them were in wheelchairs, and they were literally wheeled away. Uh, But officers were careful to make sure that nobody was injured. Here's kind of the thing Jim people mm-hmm. are allowed to protest in the state house it's a public building. The problem is when the protesters uh, start to disrupt business, or like in this case, physically stop senators from entering the chamber, that's typically when law enforcement gets involved. Uh, what's interesting about this is these protesters were not formally arrested or even ticketed. They were just released, and it's going to be up to a, a local prosecutor to decide if they do face any charges.
0: Okay, all right. Well, expanding Medicaid to cover at least another 130,000 low-income Kansans, is a priority for these protesters, obviously, and also for Democratic Governor Laura Kelly. Her top priority. Exactly. It appears that a majority of lawmakers also support it, but they can't get it to a vote because of Senate President Susan Wagle.
2: Yeah, President Weigel is one of the lawmakers who wants this constitutional amendment saying that there's no right to abortion in the Constitution. And she's holding up Medicaid expansion because uh, she's one of the lawmakers who says without the amendment, Medicaid might end up paying for abortions. Mm -hmm. But another Republican leader in the Senate, uh, Senate Majority Leader Jim Denning, who helped create this Medicaid compromise, disagrees with Weigel, says that's not correct. Uh, but that's really just where we are right now.
0: Right. And, and we should point out uh, to listeners that Senator Jim Denning, the person you just mentioned, is the top Republican who crossed party lines and Mm -hmm. worked with Governor Kelly to develop this quote-unquote bipartisan compromise on Medicaid expansion, right?
2: That's exactly right.
0: And he was also the one who traveled to Wichita to help the governor sell the plan and who took a lot of heat in the Republican caucus for doing that.
2: Yes, some other Republicans were not happy about that.
0: All right, efforts continue behind the scenes to strike a compromise on the abortion amendment, which theoretically would clear the way for Medicaid expansion. But as we sit here today, Stephen, no real sign that a lot of progress is being made.
2: You know, and this is one of the things where it's not clear how much time they're going to have to work on this or anything else before their big spring break. They're supposed to work until April 3rd, if you remember the calendar, Mm -hmm, then mm -hmm. take a month-long break. But just in the last week, we've had schools and colleges canceling classes because of coronavirus. And some people are starting to wonder if if Kansas lawmakers might ultimately end up leaving earlier because of coronavirus.
0: Yeah, the environment is changing rapidly day by day. Uh, Stephen, what are some other states doing? I saw, I think I saw that some Missouri lawmakers are also taking a a break.
2: That's right. Some lawmakers in Missouri are taking a couple weeks off, and I'm sure I'm not getting every state here, but uh, lawmakers in Georgia are taking off two weeks. Mm -hmm. In Illinois and North Carolina, they're canceling some upcoming meetings. Right now, Kansas lawmakers, though, are in kind of a wait-and-see mode.
0: Yeah, and I'm sure they're reluctant to take a lot of time off because, you know, the clock is ticking, as we mentioned, and they have an awful lot of work uh, left to do. And speaking of that, we're seeing some big differences developing between the House and the Senate on Democratic Governor Laura Kelly's 10-year, $10 billion highway plan.
2: My understanding is that in a Senate committee, it was pretty much approved as Governor Kelly proposed it, yeah, but, close. but you know better than me, Jim, uh, House lawmakers made a bunch of changes.
0: And so you have the Senate, you know, pretty much on board with the governor and you have the House wanting to make big changes. I mean, it could, it could be weeks before they could resolve those differences.
2: Yeah, this is something that could be dragging on towards the end of the session in a conference committee where they're negotiating out those differences.
0: Stephen Coranda, thanks as always for stopping by and bringing us up to speed. Appreciate it. Thank you. Representative Don Heineman is one of four moderate Republicans who joined with Democrats in voting against the anti-abortion constitutional amendment. That was enough to keep backers from getting the two-thirds majority they needed to put it on the statewide ballot. But that was a month ago. To break the impasse, Heineman is proposing a compromise. Like the original amendment, it would overturn a recent Kansas Supreme Court ruling that declared abortion a right under the state constitution. But it would stop short of giving lawmakers the power to regulate abortion in cases of rape, incest or when a mother's life is in danger. It would also move the statewide vote on the amendment from the August primary to the November general election. Those are two changes that conservative Republicans and the anti-abortion groups pushing for the amendment just can't support, says House Republican Speaker Ron Reichman.
1: We're pretty stuck on August or special election.
0: But Heineman says he and the other moderate Republicans holding up passage of the amendment are just as stuck on
1: their position. We are still firm in our conviction that it needs to be on the November ballot. And we're unwilling to move off of that. And why are you so firm in that conviction? Because that is when voter turnout is at its highest. And an issue of this importance deserves to be heard and considered and voted on by the maximum number of voters in the state of Kansas. That happens in November.
0: You're attempting to break the impasse. You've introduced uh, another resolution. And it's how is it different from the one that the House has already voted on and rejected?
1: It's simpler. It's um, it uh, strips out any language regarding rape, incest, and life of the mother, and it sets the date for the November uh, general election.
0: And why did you strip that language
1: out? There's been some heartburn over that, that uh, specifying it in the Constitution might actually uh, create a possibility that uh, that uh, would allow the legislature to uh, restrict those areas. So by stripping it out, we think that gives uh, more protection that those would still be carved out and, and set aside from other restrictions.
0: I mean, obviously, you pretty much said on the House floor, and others have said that move the statewide vote from August to November. What are the chances that this actually puts things in motion and maybe breaks the impasse?
1: I think it's too early to tell, but I mean, it's been nearly a month since we had that vote on the, on the other resolution, the Senate version. Um, And we've remained at impasse until now. I think it's time for us to begin looking at some alternatives. Um, We continue to say that August is not a viable option for the four of us Republicans, and that uh, if the date is moved to November, at least three of us would be a yes.
0: Heinemann thinks the compromise he's proposing could pass if Kansans for Life, the state's most powerful anti-abortion group, dropped its opposition to
1: it. I'm fairly confident that it would pass if given a fair shot, and if Kansans for Life would, would uh, remove their threat to score anyone who would vote for an amendment other than August. If they're locked on that, then we truly are at deadlock, and it's very possible that no abortion amendment gets passed through the legislature this year. And if the abortion issue isn't resolved this session, what happens with Medicaid expansion? Do you think that that goes with it? It very well might. I don't think that's 100% guaranteed, though. There are still procedural moves moves that could possibly resurrect the issue of uh, expansion. So I hate that the two issues have become linked. I don't think it's appropriate, but it is what it is.
0: As we mentioned earlier, Speaker Reichman is also thinking about ways to break the stalemate. One way, he says, might be to divide the question. That would involve putting a version of the constitutional amendment on the floor that doesn't specify a date for the statewide vote. That would be handled with a separate bill that could pass with a simple majority.
1: It gives people an option, If it gives them a choice, this whole thing's about choice, and uh, we just divide the question. I'm not saying for sure we'll do that, but we're just, um, again, floating things out that people can look at, and again, the ma- there's a large majority of people in this building who want people of Kansas to have a say in this. Uh-huh. Um, the disagreement is on the date.
0: Reichman's idea isn't an option for Representative Tom Phillips. He's another of the moderate Republicans holding out for a general election vote on the amendment.
1: For me, that's kind of uh, like political smoke and mirrors because, you know, it, that's a two-step process, but it uh, achieves the same outcome, which I'm not going to fall victim to. So, so if they're thinking about doing that, which according to the Hall talk that, that, that is being discussed— I would be a no vote because it's not a solution getting to where I think it needs to be, which is on the general election.
0: So there you have it. With no serious talk of a compromise date, the standoff continues. The State Board of Indigenous Defense Services is a small but important state agency. It provides criminal defense to people who can't afford it. The agency employs a squad of low-paid but dedicated lawyers. It also contracts with outside lawyers to handle cases when its defenders can't take on any more. But like other parts of the criminal justice system in Kansas, the public defender agency is underfunded and overwhelmed. That leads to high turnover, and it limits the number of cases the agency can handle. So the agency is asking the legislature for a half a million dollars to help fill vacant jobs through the rest of the current budget year, and it's requesting another $2 million in the coming year. Nomeen Ujia-Dean covers criminal justice for the Kansas News Service, and she spoke with officials at the agency about what they're calling a crisis. Hi, Nomeen. Hi, Jim. Give me the basics. What's going on with the agency?
3: Right now, the Board of Indigenous Defense Services says it's struggling with high caseloads and not enough lawyers to handle all the defendants that are assigned to them. The agency sees about 15,000 cases a year with only about 120 staff attorneys, and those attorneys are juggling anywhere between 50 to 100 cases at a time, depending on the office that they work in. Plus, they're not paid as much as most attorneys who work in private practice, who often make at least two to three times as much as public defenders. So that means a lot of defenders burn out and they leave for other jobs. Uh, it also means that the defenders who stay are really stressed out. They tend to be earlier in their careers, so they're not as efficient at handling all those cases. Plus, there's not as much specialized knowledge about criminal defense that gets accumulated at the agency over time. So as a result, the quality of the defense we provide to low-income people isn't as high, and more of them end up taking unfavorable plea deals or going to prison. Wow.
0: Wow. Wow. That's a a lot to take in. Uh, I assume this is having some impact on public defender offices across the state. Can you give me the overview there?
3: The relatively low number of defenders means that a lot of offices can't defend every low-income person in their area who gets charged with a crime. So when those offices reach their maximum capacity, they shut down, meaning they stop taking new cases. Heather Cessna, the executive director of the agency, told me that offices in Wichita, Chanute, and Independence are currently shut down, and the offices in Topeka just reopened after being closed.
0: So can you explain what happens to criminal cases when defenders can't take them when these officers shut down.
3: The agency has had to hand off a lot of cases to private attorneys that it contracts with. That costs the state almost $300 more per case. And when you consider that those private attorneys handle about the same number of cases as public defenders, about 15,000, then it adds up to about an extra $4 million a year for the state. Heather Cessna told me that in some places, the contract offices are at capacity as well. So defendants then go to a list of individual private attorneys who will take their case, but may not even specialize in criminal defense.
0: It sounds like a big problem. And you wrote about the Board of Indigenous Defense last year uh, about a similar budgetary crisis. Has anything really changed in the past year?
3: Last year, the agency did get a bit of a funding boost. They were able to give raises to a few defenders and to increase the hourly rate they pay their contract attorneys. And apparently that did help. Only about 13% of public defenders quit this past year, compared with about 24% the year before. But the agency still has several vacancies, especially in rural areas. It's worried that in those areas, there might not even be enough private attorneys to take on cases. And the agency says it still doesn't have salaries that are anywhere near competitive. Plus, it says it needs money to update its IT systems and hire support staff like investigators and paralegals.
0: What are the prospects that the agency will get what it needs?
3: So the governor didn't approve their request for additional funding for this year. Um, The executive director of the agency said that that might just be because they made it so late last year. Uh, She said that there are some legislators that they've spoken to who've been really supportive of their request. Um, But, you know, it just comes down to whether or not they're willing to put their money where their mouth is and actually fund the agency.
0: Very good. Nomeen Eugene covers criminal justice for the Kansas News Service, and she's catching us up on this important story. Appreciate your time and your reporting, Nomeen. Thanks, Jim. Now that Kansas has recorded its first coronavirus death, we're in an official state of emergency. Governor Laura Kelly says that will allow the state to more quickly marshal resources to deal with the COVID-19 virus, which is now spreading in communities across the state. If necessary, the emergency order will also allow officials to move aggressively to protect public health.
1: I want to let every Kansan know we will use all resources necessary as we continue to mitigate the spread of this virus. It is also worth repeating to all Kansans, this is not a time to panic Please continue to use common sense, hand-washing, coughing into your elbow, staying home when ill. This remains the best defense against COVID-19.
0: We here at the Kansas News Service will, of course, be monitoring developments, attending briefings, and passing everything we learn on to you, both on your favorite public radio station and online at ksnewsservice.org. To the extent that anyone can be, we're on top of this and we will continue to be. Thanks for listening and stay healthy. This is Statehouse Blend, Kansas, in Topeka. I'm Jim McLean. Statehouse Blend, Kansas is a production of the Kansas News Service, a collaboration of public radio stations across the state. Our theme music was provided by nameless dancers. Follow the Kansas News Service at ksnewsservice.org and
3: subscribe to Statehouse Blend wherever you get your podcasts.